Pastor Kari. Well, I, uh, I want to take a moment just to thank all of you who participated in our breakfast burrito fundraiser. Who bought a breakfast burrito last week? So I, I say this with all sincerity of heart. I honestly believe that breakfast burritos are the most perfect food known to man. I, I just, I'm not a sweets person. I don't really like pancakes or waffles or anything sugary at all. I, I often joke whenever I'm at a restaurant that when it comes time for dessert, I would rather order a second batch of onion rings than ice cream just because I love the savory. And, and that's what I love about breakfast burritos. And sometimes when I read the Bible, I have a hard time identifying with people in the Bible. And if I was Adam, I think I could say no to fruit. But if there was a breakfast burrito up on the tree, like... <laughs> I just, I just love them. So, um, in fact, I, I was even a little nervous as we did the breakfast burritos last week. We put our dates as a staff on the calendar like nine months ahead of time. And wouldn't you know it, the fundraiser that we're doing for youth camp actually fell on the day that we announced the welcome home improvement. And part of me is kind of like, oh, man, like, are, are people going to choose to kind of hold back a little bit knowing that there's going to be this huge push for fundraising coming in the future? But actually, we raised more last week than we did the last time we did it. So we can, we can cheer and clap for that. So I, I, I love the fact that we have a church here that's so passionate about camp. Um, we, we do camps for kids all the way from third grade all the way up through youth through high school. And it's a fun time for them. They get, you know, there's a lake that they get to go to. They have lots of fun games that they do in campfires, but the most important thing is that they encounter Jesus there. It is such a powerful time. My life was changed at camp. I am here today because I was called into ministry at a camp. That's why I'm here. And because of your guys' generosity, there are kids who are going to be going to camp who wouldn't have been able to go normally because of what you guys did because you go and you pay $10 on a breakfast burrito rather than $3. It's amazing. So thank you guys for that. It's so exciting. Well, this week I'm continuing in Lance's uh, sermon uh, series entitled RSVP. And what I love about Lance's leadership, something that I just love that he does, is that he likes to take a moment to sit and reflect on things for a long time. Millions of pastors around the world preached a message on Easter Sunday. And I bet most of them just continued on to the very next sermon series afterwards. But Lance said, let's take a minute, and for the next month, we're going to sit back and look back towards Easter and unpack this concept of responding. RSVP is French, meaning please respond. I practiced it twice this week to say it in French, and I butchered it, so I'm not even going to try. But um, it just means please respond. And we know that whenever we get an invitation with RSVP, the ball now is on our court. We can't just sit and take that invitation and set it on the counter and choose not to do anything. We need to actually respond to it. And I just, I love, I love that fact. So I'm taking a play out of Lance's playbook, and I'm going to take a look at the Easter story again. And again, I just, I love that about Lance, that he just continues to just delve into things. If you want to know some of the things I don't appreciate about Lance's leadership, I'm going to be talking after, no, just kidding, I'm not going to be doing it. Sorry. Um, Let's edit that out, Michael, of the, uh, of the podcast. Um, I, just, I, I love that. So we're going to be taking a look at three different people who during this Easter story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, who responded to Jesus. Everybody in the Gospels, every person who encountered Jesus responded to him in some way, every single one. In fact, 
I would also contend that every person in this room or who's hearing this message has already responded to Jesus. And if you think that perhaps you haven't, I think by the end of the sermon, you'll realize that you have in your own way. There's something about Jesus that when you encounter him, he makes you respond. He puts that RSVP. He puts the ball in your court. So we're going to take a look at three different people who responded to him. And what I wanted to do before we delve into two and talk about these three people, I always like to give the background of where we're at in the story. And when Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago, it was a special time to the people of Israel. What had happened was there was a 400-year period of silence where God had stopped talking to his people. You see the Old Testament, the way that God spoke to his people is that you would have someone by the, who was a prophet. God would come down and that prophet would say things that God had said or he, they would write down things that God had told them and that's how we got our Old Testament. Well, 400 years before Christ, the last prophet by the name of Malachi spoke and it was silent. And we can see the writings during this time, the Jewish writings, and they know that this silence is happening. It's not like they woke up 400 years later and realized that, oh, I guess, yeah, God hasn't really spoken to us in a while. They knew that this was happening, and they're worried about it. Kings during this time are refusing to make decisions because they don't know what to do. They've always had God tell them what to do. And so when Jesus comes up on the scene, he began to speak with someone with authority, and he's doing miracles. And he's getting these huge crowds because people are beginning to think, is God now talking again to his people? There's this buzz and this excitement. Thousands of people are, are coming around Jesus because they're finally saying, God is once again speaking to us. Here was the problem. When the religious leaders showed up to hear this man speak, his message that he was giving was not what they wanted to hear. He was talking about forgiveness. He was talking about feeding the poor. He was hanging out with prostitutes. They wanted someone to come in and to kick out the Romans who had conquered them. But Jesus' message was different, and he was getting a huge following, and he was powerful. So the religious leaders conspired to kill Jesus, and that's where we pick up in our story. This person who was speaking at first, they were excited because maybe God is finally again speaking to his people once they realized they didn't like the message anymore, they flipped, and they went and they conspired to kill him. And that's where we show up in our story. So the way that, in those days, since the Romans were in charge, you couldn't kill, the Jews couldn't just decide to kill somebody. They had to get the Romans' permission. So they brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate. He's the very first person that I want to take a look at today. That's why he was brought there, is because it's under Roman rule. And Pilate is the very first person who responds to Jesus that I want to look at today. His response is one of indifference. Pilate's response towards Jesus was one of indifference. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. The religious leaders kind of show up with Jesus, say, we want to kill him. And Pilate begins to talk with him. And we know a lot about Pilate from history. He was an actual person that we can study. And he was known as somebody who wouldn't make firm decisions. He was known as somebody who wouldn't put his dog into the fight. And after Jesus, after this whole thing, he was actually kicked out of power because the people just got tired of him. He wouldn't ever make the decision. 
So Jesus shows up to Pilate, and Pilate finds a loophole. The loophole is, after talking with Jesus, what, ha- what Pilate discovered was that Jesus actually wasn't from Jerusalem. He's from G- Galilee. So he says, this is awesome. What I can do is, is I can go ahead and pawn Jesus off to this decision on whether or not this person should die. I can go ahead and send him to Herod, who's over Galilee. And it's funny, Herod was the one who killed John the Baptist. So you can imagine Pilate going, man, this is golden. I don't have to make the decision. I can send him across the street. The same way that today you have state crime versus federal crime. You have kind of a difference of jurisdiction. And then Pilate ends up sending Jesus away. But here's the problem with Jesus. You want to know the problem with Jesus? Is that whenever you try to send him away, he always comes right back. So Pilate sent Jesus away to Herod, saying, hey, your problem, he's a Galilean, not my jurisdiction. Make the decision for me. But Jesus didn't want to talk to Herod. He was just silent. So Herod sent him right back again. And you can just imagine Pilate saying, man, now I have to make the decision. So he talks with Jesus. He has this encounter with him. And he realizes that Jesus isn't worthy of death. That whatever the Jews want to kill him for, he's not worthy. There's no crime he's committed where he's guilty. And so I'm going to pull up this sermon here, or this uh, section of scripture here, where Pilate is now talking to the crowd. After trying to pawn Jesus off, after trying to delay the decision and make Jesus someone else's problem... Jesus came right back, and now this is how he speaks to the crowd, Pilate. He says, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, the crowd, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water. He washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. Pilate's response towards Jesus was one of indifference. He tried to pass him off. To make the decision of what to do with Jesus, his response he wanted to give to somebody else. But wouldn't you know it, Jesus came right back again. And he didn't want to have a dog in the fight. As he's standing there in front of Jesus, he could have the opportunity to set him free or to not kill him. But instead, what he did was, is he said, I'm just going to wash my hands of you. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, and you're going to keep doing what you're doing. And he goes to the crowd. Perhaps today in how you've encountered Jesus, you can identify with Pilate. Have you felt indifferent towards him at times in your life? Where Jesus is asking you to do something, he's connecting with you, and you try to make Jesus that call someone else's problem. And you try to push him off to the side. And wouldn't you know it, he comes right back again. Or times when you decide to kind of wash your hands. I'll show up and I'll kind of do as little as I can, but at the end of the day, it's not my job to respond to you. And you're just indifferent. So the second person that I wanted to take a look at today and who responded to Jesus is Peter, one of the disciples. So Peter's response is different than Pilate's. Peter's response is that he turned back to Jesus. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. 
He was one of the ones who was closest to Jesus. He was actually the, the third disciple who ended up following him. Somebody who was just around him all the time. Whenever Jesus would withdraw and just take a couple of disciples, Peter was always there. And he had a very interesting encounter with Jesus the night that he was arrested. In fact, when you read it in the Bible, what Jesus says to Peter makes sense. However, we have the benefit of hindsight. If, you're, if you try to put your mind in Peter's place as I'm about to read the scripture, he had no idea what was going to happen. Didn't know Jesus was going to be arrested or killed or anything. Jesus at the Last Supper, right before he gets arrested, and he has this encounter where he's asking Peter to respond at dinner. And it's so interesting. It's in Luke 22. I'll read it. Jesus, during the meal, he looks directly at Peter and he says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What a weird thing to say. You're sitting around with Jesus. You don't know about all this stuff is going to happen. And he says, when you've turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. I can imagine just kind of sitting there being like, what do you mean when I turn back? I'm here, aren't I? I'm literally in front of you eating. Where, where, where did I go? When did I turn around? And Peter responds that way. He actually says, verse 33, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. After this, the disciples and Jesus, they get up and they go to a place called the Mount of Olives. And this crowd comes to arrest Jesus. The Bible says that Peter, who had a sword, went up and ended up striking at this crowd. and actually cut someone's ear off. Talk about escalating quickly. <laughs> cut someone's ear off. Jesus picked up the ear, put it back on, and said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And part of me can't help but wonder if Peter in that moment is kind of saying, see, Jesus, you said I turn away, and I didn't. I see this crowd coming, and I can choose to run. Other people ran, but he didn't. Ha. Immediately, his first response after hearing that he would turn away was that he decided to double down and to be there with Jesus. But then we get into the problem the place where he turned away. Peter follows the crowd of people as they're arresting him. And in Luke 22, what Jesus said would happen, happened. In verse 56, we pick up in the story and it says, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I read this story, and there's something about it doesn't make sense to me. You have Peter, one of the closest people to Jesus. You have just hours before, he's willing to cut someone's ear off to protect Jesus. And yet, he's afraid of a servant girl? 
Like this little crowd of people, when this is going on, that's who he's going to decide to be afraid with. And it, it kind of boggles my mind. But then I think about the times that as us, as people, we turn away, we turn our backs on Jesus. Don't a lot of those decisions not make a whole lot of sense when we do them? Have you been in a situation where you've done the wrong thing, you've turned your back, and you look back on it, you're like, what the heck was I thinking? That doesn't make logical sense, why I decided to do that or why I decided to react in that way. Well, shoot. Or sometimes it can be the little things. You can be really big and good in the moment, right? When the crowd's here and Jesus is around, I can strike it. But when I don't think Jesus is watching and I'm just off to the side and just a, a servant girl just happens to ask me, oh, yeah, not a big deal. It's a lot of times in the little things that when we turn our back on Jesus, they have huge implications because we think he's not watching. Yet he is. Jesus had prayed. He knew what Peter was going to do. And he prayed for him. He says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Have, has anyone ever like wronged you before where they've done something to you and you try to pray for them afterwards? like one of the hardest things in the world to do like you just want to like if someone's wounded you to actually sit and to pray for them i love jesus that even though he knew of the betrayal even though he knew it was going to happen he said i'm praying for you right now that when you come back to me you will strengthen your brothers and he did exactly that you see he could have at this moment when he went outside and wept bitterly just left just scattered it says after Jesus had died, a lot of the followers had left him, but he didn't. He stayed with his brothers and he strengthened them. And then in Acts, we see him preach the greatest sermon ever preached at the day of Pentecost. And he became just a solid member of the church. Peter's response was that he turned back. And so I asked today, do you, do you relate to Peter? Have you had times where you've been so passionate and so excited and then maybe just a dumb mistake. That doesn't even make sense. Or the little things have crept in when you think no one's watching. And you're wondering what to do. It's not too late for you to turn back. And I love the fact that just because Jesus knows the things you're going to do doesn't negate his calling in your life. He knows, he knows what's going to happen, but he's still praying for you. Maybe on Easter Sunday, Lance gave the opportunity to rededicate your lives. Maybe you were one of those who raised the hand to rededicate your life, and we're a couple weeks later, and you're kind of navigating, well, how do I now live differently? What should I do different? And if you identify with that, it's not too late to turn back and to strengthen those around you. So the last one that I want to take a look at, this response, was the very last person who saw Jesus alive, who, or encountered Jesus alive. Well, I guess he was raised from the dead to the psalm alive. So the, the last time they saw him when he was alive the first time um, is the person I want to look at today, and that's the criminal who's on the cross. The criminal on the cross, and his, was, his response was one of repentance. Jesus is up on the cross, and it says that there are two people who are crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And there's this encounter where both criminals respond to Jesus in a way with completely opposite reactions. I'll read it here in Luke 23, verse 39. It says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. 
aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We see two completely different opposite responses to Jesus in that moment. We don't know what this criminal who repented did. He said that he deserved his punishment. I know if you look back at history of people who were executed, there's very few people who will say, yep, I got what I deserve. Sorry, sorry about that, guys. Go ahead, pull the trigger. No, I mean, he's somebody that he's saying, that whatever I did, it was bad enough because I deserved to be here. As a, as a pastor, a lot, of, a lot of the times, I'm able to be around people who are making the decision to follow Jesus for the first time. And I don't know if you've ever done that, where you're with somebody and they decide to respond to Jesus and they decide to repent. And if you're ever faced with that moment, either with yourself or with somebody else, it could be a little intimidating to know what, what you're supposed to do, right? If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, uh, I want to become a Jesus follower like you, what, what's my next step? It could be a little bit like, uh, I don't, you know, start looking for your track. Like, do I have any tracks that were handed to me today at the mall? Or you're looking for something to do, how, how to bring somebody through that process. Um, in fact, this past week, I just was curious and I Googled, you know, how to become a follower of Jesus. And it was like 25 verses that you can go through. And I was like, hey, this is really helpful. But what's interesting, whenever I'm faced with that decision with somebody else, I always bring them here in Luke to the criminal on the cross. This is where I bring them. And I'm like, hey, it's, it's good enough for the very first person who is in heaven with Jesus, probably good enough for us still. And it's funny, it kind of flies under the radar, because if you Google it, this, this encounter with Jesus isn't there. It, it doesn't come up as popular. But I love it, because it's so simple what this criminal does, but it's so powerful. And if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, just remember this encounter. If you're ever faced with that, either decision yourself or with somebody else, just remember criminal on the cross. Google it on your phone and pull it up. Because what he does is, is he does two simple steps. He says, we're being punished for what we deserve. I'm here as a punishment for my sin. To put it another way, it's like, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I need your salvation. I need your grace. First step. And the second step is he goes to Jesus and says, you're innocent. You don't have to be up here. I'm guilty and you're innocent. And the third step is, just remember me. And Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. And part of me, the theologian, is like, well, yeah, what about baptism? He didn't get baptized. Or he didn't go through the class, right? He didn't go through the new beginning class. Like, what about all this stuff that we have to do? I just love how simple, yet how powerful it is. That when he repents, he says, I'm guilty, you're not, remember me. I love it. I love that repentance, it's one of the easiest things in the world to do, but yet on the other side, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. It's so simple, but it ain't easy. So perhaps you identify with the criminal where you're faced with that decision to follow him for the first time, or you identify with Pilate or with Peter, and you're in that moment of repenting and not really knowing what the next step is. 
we get this such great example of how we can repent. So as we close today, if the uh, worship team or whoever comes up can play, I, something I think I learned going through this is that every person has responded to Jesus whether they know it or not. And so today as you're sitting there, perhaps you identify with Pilate. Perhaps you identify with the concept of just indifference. Where you're sitting back, and it's fine. I'll, I'll kind of push Jesus off to the side. I know he's there. I know there's something special about him, but I'm just going to kind of push him to the side. And then wouldn't you know it, Jesus makes his way back again. And then when faced with him again, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of wash my hands, and I'm just going to continue on with my life path as if this encounter with Jesus never happened. We see people in history, in church history, where Leaders have encountered Jesus and they've radically changed. Constantine was one of those people. There's this amazing moment where he became saved and he completely changed the way his path. Pilate wasn't one of those people. He continued living as if he never met him. Or perhaps you identify with Peter where some just dumb mistake. You're so passionate about him. You know what's going on and yet for whatever reason, a mistake was made or the little things have just added up after a while that you can turn back and you're wondering if it's too late and not only is it not but Jesus has been praying for you the whole time like he did with Peter he's been sitting there interceding for you or you identify with the criminal and saying this is my first time I want to repent I want to change the way I've been living I'm guilty you're innocent remember me God and he does he knows exactly who you are so I'm gonna take a moment right now and just pray for us and these responses. So if you can just lift out your hands um, as I pray for us as a group. Father, as we're in this series of RSVP, as we are faced with the task of responding to your message, I pray that the words today that we've looked at, these different reactions and different responses people have, I pray that you would speak to our hearts for those of us in this room who are indifferent, I pray, Lord, that you would just excite the passion. I pray that we would move from indifference, that we would move to that next step in our journey. I pray that those who have washed their hands of Jesus and are just here going through the motions and they're here for somebody else, for their husband, their wife, their kids, their whatever, they're here just because it's convenient. I pray that you would change their life. But as they sit and hear this message, we just pray for your power to come in. I pray for those of us like Peter who have made those mistakes, who have turned away and we just feel like, man, I need to get back. I know the things that I should have done, but yet it's too late for me. I pray against those lies that we would tell ourselves that it's too late and help us turn back towards him. And for those of us in the room who need to repent, for those of us in, those, in the room who want to come to you, I just pray that we would realize that we're sinners we need your help and you're innocent, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys.